morning, Prevail families. I am thrilled to be joining you this morning, and I hope that you had a blessed week. Um, you know, thank you um, for joining us. Uh, it's amazing the technology that God has helped create to be able to allow for us to be able to connect like this this morning. Even though we can't be together in person, it's so exciting to be able to know that we're still able to worship together. I want to take a quick minute before we get into the message, and I want to welcome our first-time viewers. If this is the first time you've ever watched our broadcast, I want to take a minute and thank you very much for taking time out of your schedule. There are many options that you could choose to, to go to church this morning. Uh, you know, here in Greenville, South Carolina, if, if you want to go to church online in Texas or Florida or even London or wherever across the world, you can do that because of this, this amazing technology that we have. But you've chosen to be with us, and we want to thank you for that. Uh, if you were one of those first-time viewers, I'd like to ask that you um, uh, do me a favor and connect with us. And also, if you, you're one of those viewers who has watched before but has never done this step, we would love to connect with you as well. If you will pull out your phone right now, pull it out, and text PREVAIL to 31996. Again, that's PREVAIL to 31996. We would love the opportunity to connect with you. What's going to happen is you're going to receive a text message, and in that text message, it's going to have a link to go to a form and fill it out. All it really does is give us a couple more pieces of information, like your name and your email, for us to be able to connect with you better. But if you don't do that, that's fine. Um, we will be sending you a text message in the next couple days where um, it'll invite you to an online meet and greet. And because we, because we really just want to connect with you. That's the reason why we're doing this. That's why we're sending this out to you. So please do that uh, so that we can connect with you. God has really been, uh, has been really working hard on me with this message that I have this week for you. And I, I am excited to share it with you because it's something that, that God has really had in my spirit for the last several months. I knew that this was the topic and this was the plan for me to preach for the very first sermon that I was supposed to give here at Prevail as a pastor on a Sunday. And I am so excited that it fit perfectly into this canceled series that we're doing so that we can be able to, to, to be, have, have, have this come out and be something that's very important. Um, this is something that is, is tone setting for a church, and I am really excited about the tone that we're setting as a church. Um, and, and we've started out with this series called Cancel. For those of you who haven't been watching, it's um, a series based on the cancel culture in our in our world today. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that is uh, basically the idea that if you don't like something and you don't or you or you don't agree with it or you just don't like somebody, that um, what happens is 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 people, especially online, this happens typically on social media. People uh, effectually cancel people by uh, basically uh, almost an informal boycott, a massive informal boycott type situation. And so. The point is, is that that right there and that kind of culture that we have seen pervading is also in the church and it's also across the world in, in so many different places. But what it does is, it is, is, is that type of thing for us Christians, it leaves out something that's so important, something that's so very important in, in our faith. And that is that God, he is about grace and mercy. He is not about cancellation. And so, so what we're, we've been doing and what we've been covering over the last couple weeks is to talk about how we have a punishment paradigm in our minds that basically says 
that if somebody does something wrong, they must be punished. They must be punished and they must be punished harshly. And um, we do that to, to, to people. We do it to ourselves. We do it to, 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 to a, lot, a lot of people because that's how we're ingrained. That's how we were built. That's how we were taught. You know, from when we were kids, if you did something wrong, you were punished in some way, form or fashion. So the point is, is that we have gone away from this idea of what God wants, and he wants repentance and reconciliation. He doesn't just want punishment. And so what we're doing in this in this series is talking about that and talking about ways that we can go away from this cancellation culture and this punishment paradigm and into a, a mode of repentance and uh, reconciliation. But what I'm going to talk about today more focuses on inside the church and what we do inside the church. And unfortunately, Christians are so bad at this punishment paradigm thing in this cancellation culture. We've been doing it for so many years. I can think back many years when ago when um, there was a pastor who did something very small, very little wrong, and the and the, the church just kicked him out and just said, "No, we don't want to have anything to do with you. We're punishing you by taking you out of what you were called to do." I'm not saying that he shouldn't have, that, that pastor shouldn't have had to repent, shouldn't have had to an opportunity to reconcile. But I'm saying that that just by by casting somebody out, it didn't help. And what that does, and what that type of thing does, is it creates barriers between people in Christ, not only to the person who it happens to, but the people who see it happening. So to help put this in perspective, I have a story that I want to share with you. It's quite a funny one, and it's one that people laugh at. I don't laugh very much at it because it was very painful for me, but. Uh, how many out there, let me just ask you this question first. And um, I, I, I know I can't see you, but I'd like you to play along if you don't mind. If you love to fish, if you could raise your hand right now, if you could just, just lift it right up. And uh, yeah, there we go. And, and you know, here's the thing. I, I didn't raise my hand for a reason. I, I do not like to fish. I hate fishing. Um, it's not that I dislike outdoors things. I love to go hike. I love to do things like that. But I just do not like fishing. It's not my favorite thing to do. And I, I don't ever, ever do it. Um, some people might say hate is a strong word. But the truth is, is I really, really, really don't like it. Over the last couple of weeks, as I was doing the study for this message, I got to thinking about this story. And I don't know why. I think God kind of put this in here because he wanted me to tell it. And, and that is this, that um, I didn't realize why I hated fishing so much. And I, what I realized was is it really had not, not much to do with fishing. So what happened was one day when I was um, in college one year, I had a roommate who loved, 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 loved to fish. He would go anytime, anywhere he would fish and he just loved to do it. And um, he had convinced me a couple times to go out fishing with him and it was okay. It wasn't my favorite thing, but it was, it was something relaxing in the afternoon. So I went with him. Well, one Sunday or one Saturday, I can't remember it was a weekend day. Um, we were out, uh, and went to a small pond. It was about an hour from campus up near some Springs. And, um, we had gotten started and, uh, my roommate was about a hundred yards away. And I, uh, I was casting my line and everything was fine and everything was great. It was a beautiful day. And then one of the casts, I, I I went to cast out, and and the 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 uh, the line got snagged on something. I just figured there was some trees behind me. I threw some trees, and I and I cast it. And it finally went out, and it did it. But I finally figured out what it was. Very shortly, uh, was I um I had I had hit something back there, and that thing was a hornet's nest. 
Um, and I learned very quickly what it was because a whole bunch of hornets decided to start stinging me in my back. I'll never forget, I was, I remember swatting and all that kind of stuff. And my, I heard my roommate go, what's going on? I said, I hit a hornet's nest. And he goes, run. And so I'm like, you know, you know, running, 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 running. So I get to where, about where the room, my roommate is and he tosses me the keys to his truck and, and I grab them and I run. And of course the bees have, do not care about him because he didn't hit their nest. He, I hit their nest. So I'm like running, 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 continuing to get stung and stung and stung. And these hornets were much faster than I am, unfortunately. And, and so I'm like running, running, running. I finally get to the truck. I unlock the truck. I get in, I close the door. In the safety of the truck, I was finally taking a breath. And then um, he came and joined me. We went back to the uh, infirmary. Long story short, I had 30 to 40 stings. The nurse said I was lucky that I wasn't um, I wasn't allergic. And yes, I was lucky that I wasn't uh, allergic to to um, uh, to stings. But um, I didn't feel lucky when I couldn't lay down on my back or um, sit back uh, on a chair for 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 about a week afterwards. But um, but anyways, um, so the thing is though is you know, the truth is, is I, I, after that, I never went back fishing again. I, I didn't enjoy fishing. I didn't want to be a part of fishing. It was just not what I wanted to do anymore. Um, but what I figured out as I studied this was that, um, and how this story relates today is, is what I realized was I didn't like fishing and I don't like fishing, not because of anything that has anything to do with fishing. I mean, I, I quite enjoyed the act of fishing. It was relaxing. It was fun. It was, you know, what it is. And, um, uh, but then, but then the unfortunate thing was, was that, um, I got stung. I got stung by something that had nothing to do with fishing. And that changed my perspective about fishing and made me never want to go again. Folks, let me ask you this question. How many people in this, who are watching right now, who are watching right now on this on on this on this live broadcast, or if 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 you know somebody, how many people do you know that that they don't go to church, or they haven't been to church in a while, or they don't like church, or they get upset when even people talk about church, not because of something that Christ said, not because of something that Christ did, not because of the love of God, but because they were stung by something that had nothing to do with it. You know, folks, there are many people who, who go through this. You know, I, I have a friend who refuses to go to church because he was mistreated by people in the church. I had no people who haven't been to church in 20 years because of church politics. I know that I know someone, and this was the one that really, really irritates me the most, that was taught at a very young age that if he did certain things, if he made certain choices, that he was no longer worthy of God's love. Folks, these are the examples that these are examples of those barriers that I'm talking about. Just like fishing, just like this, the, the, the stings of the hornet became a barrier for me to fishing. These people doing things or saying things or creating these barriers unknowingly and knowingly in the church between people and their heavenly father have created this problem. This brings me to my scripture for today. 
And, you know, I have to admit, this is one of my favorite stories in the Bible uh, um, about Jesus, um, mainly because, um, well, you'll see in just a minute. You'll, you'll see in just a minute. Um, so let me, let me read um, from Mark eleven fifteen 15 through 18 in the NIV. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. The chief priests and teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they feared him because the whole crowd was amazed at his preaching. Now, this is from the NIV version, and part of the reason why I chose the NIV version was because it specifically uses the word kill. And what I really like about that is, is that it really emphasizes how much they absolutely hated what he was doing. And um, so, and also, before I go any further, I want to say that this this particular story, and this is one that, that is very important in the Bible, and the way we know that is because it appears in all four Gospels. And if it appears in all four Gospels, that means it is so important to include from every point of view that, uh, of Jesus' life. So let's unpack this section just a little bit. First, Mark tells us that Jesus entered the temple area. This is important because when you step into the temple, and I'm going to put up a screen, a, a, a thing right here, a map of the temple, and you can see that there's the court of the Gentiles, and you can see how, how you enter and go into the, the temple through the, the Hulda gates. And you had to go through the court of Gentiles to get there. And um, this was also called the court of nations uh, as well. And this was the only part where non-Jewish people were allowed to be. And it was the biggest section of the temple and you had to go through it to get to the rest. And this other picture is going to kind of exemplify that. And you can see that in that court of the Gentiles, you had to walk directly across that. And if you didn't, you couldn't get there. You couldn't get to where it was supposed to be. The court of the Gentiles is where all business operations of the temple took place. So, um, this is where, um, you know, imagine it be almost like when Jesus walking in, he's walking into a giant flea market where people are buying and selling and, and doing all those kind of things. And they are um, buying and selling animals and things like that. And this is also the, the, the Passover week. Keep that in mind when he's walking in. And during Passover week, thousands of people would pour into Jerusalem to, to, to buy tens of thousands of animals to be sacrificed. As a matter of fact, the um, ancient historian Josephus said that over one Passover week, one, not, not a whole bunch, but one, 255,000 lambs were bought, sold, and sacrificed over that weekend, that week in the temple courts. You know, I, I also, you know, one way to kind of describe it is think about the New York Stock Exchange and the yelling and, and, you know, hey, I'll give you this for this and all that kind of stuff. Could you imagine walking in there and seeing that? But you see, this was a place that was supposed to be set aside, even for the Gentiles, even for people who were not Jewish, to be able to come and connect with God. But how could they do that in a situation where there was so much bartering and 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 and, and all this kind of you know loud? I, I'll do this money changers changing money and doing things like that. And instead of, 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 of being a place of calm and peace where, where non-Jewish people could come and connect with God, it was now this big marketplace. So, so how 
did Jesus respond to this chaos when he walked into it? Well, and this is my favorite part. He started throwing furniture. He said, get this out of the way and started throwing things out of the way because he was angry because this was not what this area was intended for. And imagine what the religious leaders at the temple were thinking when they see this happening. They see him throwing furniture and stuff like that. And they run up and say, hey, what's going on here? And he says, look, uh, and, and well, actually my favorite is he, he, he quotes the prophet Isaiah in saying, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. He quotes their own books that they should know to their faces. Of course, this makes them a little angry. So why was it so crazy that Jesus would do this? Well, at the time, it was widely um, believed that when the Messiah arrived, he would actually purge the temple of foreigners. He would actually raise barriers and limit access further to God. But instead, Jesus was clearing the barriers for everyone, including the Gentiles. He was saying, if you are Gentile, pagan, poor, unworthy, unclean, unfit, unimportant, you too are welcome and you deserve access to God. Just like the leaders of the temple then, I believe that the leaders of the church today need a reminder of how Jesus prioritized people. How, um, how you know, how he de determined who was worthy and who wasn't. Because the truth is, is everyone is worthy. And only in that case and only in that time can we actively stop creating barriers to people connecting with their Heavenly Father. So how do we do this? Well, we truly need to examine who Jesus was and who he was sent to reach. One of the first things that I find interesting about Jesus is that while he was a religious leader, he wasn't really drawn to religious people. Um, you know, in, in Mark 2.17, he says it like this, It is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the, I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. He was sent by God, but he didn't seem to pursue the people that, consider, that people considered closest to God. Andy Stanley put it like this, people who were nothing like Jesus actually liked Jesus. And here's the kicker. He liked them back, not just liked them. He loved them back. If you continue in the book of Mark, you'll notice that nearly every chapter mentions a crowd. There were a lot of Jesus fans. He drew a crowd. And you know, the interesting part is, if you read, most of these people were nothing like him, but they liked him. And today I'm going to challenge you on that. Today I'm going to put the same challenge on, on myself, especially in the cultural climate we have today. We need to remember that everyone, every single person, not just the people you, you agree with, not just the people that you like, are children of God. The main idea is this. What is true of Jesus personally should be true of us collectively. We need to stop saying that we're the body of Christ and start acting like it. He was not popular and he did not draw a crowd because he was really good at telling people they were going to hell. He did not have all those followers because he kept keeping people out of the faith. Quite the opposite. People followed him because he broke down barriers. He brought the faith to those who were being ignored. He was brought to those to, he brought it to those who were cast down and who were treated poorly. 
They were compelled by what he said about God. He challenged people with his teachings, his priorities, and his perspective that he brought. As the body of Christ, this should be true of us as well. People should be drawn to believers who are in line and on mission with what Jesus was up to. We should be the most likable people in our communities. Whether people agree with us or not, or believe with us or not, people should like us even if they're, they're nothing like us. At Prevail, it is our mission that we would line up with a posture of Jesus collectively as a group. And this is important because look, if we look a bit like Jesus separately, together we can look a lot like Jesus. Specifically, we have to be in the habit of removing every barrier that would limit people's access to God. And we want to be intentional, both personally and corporately, about these things that would stand in the way of someone coming face to face with Jesus and responding accordingly. One of the most important ways we can do this is by focusing on what we say and how we say it, because words are important. Saying the wrong words in the wrong moment can destroy a friendship, a job, a marriage, really anything. And, and Jesus was always super specific about how he used words. One of the most important parts of his vocabulary, though, were his adjectives and how he described people. It was very different than the way we do it. And all of us kind of have the way we do it is and the way that our brains are kind of wired to do it is, is to, to use adjectives in this way. And we usually do something like this. We say the insert something in the blank here, people. Fill it in with whatever you want. Good people, bad people, respectful people, Republican people, Democrat people, Gamecock people, Clemson people, and the worst, Georgia Bulldog people. But I'm just kidding. We love you, Georgia Bulldog folks. We love you guys. We love you folks. Um, but think about it. When you're out and walking around, you look at people and immediately get a sense of what kind of people they are. This is one of the biggest flaws in our brains. But it's also an important strength because it is how it makes those connections quickly. And it's called heuristic. Or for those who haven't studied neuroscience, and, and I just did a little bit when I was in college, uh, shortcut, uh, a heuristic is a shortcut that your brain uses to make um, decisions easier. Uh, a way to just demonstrate how this works is, is if I were to say, hey, all of you at home, if you will think of an animal that starts with the letter E, Think of the color of that animal, and then think of a country that starts with a letter D. I would say, come on, you know there's no gray elephants in Denmark. And some of you are like, oh, how did he figure that out? Well, and some of you are like, hey, I choose emu instead of uh, 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 an elephant. Well, that's your prerogative, and that's your shortcut for whatever reason. But here's the thing. Why did you think of a gray elephant in Denmark? Why did most of you do that? And that's because we use these heuristics. Our brain uses these heuristics to come to decisions and come to answers quickly. And in the same fashion, our brains use adjectives to describe people and decide if these are my people or these are definitely not my people. And you might even be polite to folks, but you aren't planning trips together, inviting them over for dinner or hanging out with them on a regular basis. We all do it. So, sorry, folks, it's true. Even if you want to say that you don't, you do, because that is what happens. That's the way your brain is wired. Heuristics are, are our fill in, fill in the blank. It's wired into us, and it's not going away anytime soon. So many of you are probably thinking, 
you make it seem like we should stop putting up these barriers, that we should stop using these adjectives, but but you say that we're wired to do it. So how, how do we stop this? And you're right, that is true. We are wired to do it. But we also have to remember, remember there are ways that we can stop, our, our, stop ourselves from creating these barriers. And that for that, we need to look to Jesus because we need to remember that Jesus was also a man. He was a human being just like us. And so he, had, he went through the same things. His brain was wired the same way. But he overcame that. So we need to look to him to see how he overcame that. And the way he did that is very simple. It's a very simple thing. And when you look at it, it's because he, he, he prioritized his adjectives. Going back to, to, to 2.17, he said, I am not here to, to see the, the, the connected. I am here to see the people who aren't. It's great that you are, but, but I'm not here to see the ones that aren't. And what and, and and many think that 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 in in back in the Mark 11 story that the reason why he was throwing tables was just because people were selling things and he didn't want people marketing and selling things in his church, but that's not what he was upset about. He was upset because he needed to clear the way for everyone to have access to God. He was basically saying everyone can go directly to God now, and he was challenging those. At adjectives. It no longer mattered what filled in the blank of the the blank people. He was just saying, whoever you put in the blank, whatever you put there, it doesn't matter. That is who I am here and available to. Those running the temple had created multiple barriers for those who were not connected. Barriers of opportunity and selling stuff and leverage to demand stuff. And, and the thing is, is this is so powerful and maybe a little emotional for us. Maybe because it's the, exactly the reason why you're watching right now. Because as Jesus was turning over those tables, as he was flipping over those obstructions, just step from the holies of holies, the holy of holies, the most sacred place where the Jewish people believe God's presence dwelt, he was saying that God wants more than anything wants more than anything else to be connected to everyone. God is available to everyone everywhere, folks, or he is not available to anyone anywhere. If Jesus were here today, and based on my study on him, I believe this is what he would say about anyone he came into contact with. He would say, there are many ways I could describe people, and many ways would be true, and many of them would definitely be true. But let me tell you how I view them. There are people who are connected with their Father in heaven, and there are people who are disconnected with their Father in heaven. And my primary concern is not the connected. I'm glad that you're connected. But rather, my primary concern is the disconnected and that the disconnected have the best opportunity to get reconnected. It's what brought me to earth to begin with. Folks, Jesus is not worried about any other adjectives other than two, whether you're connected or disconnected with their heavenly father. That day in the temple, Jesus didn't see just a mass of people. He saw the seemingly connected and he saw the disconnected struggling in this loudness and in this craziness to try and reconnect with their heavenly father. And he had to respond. 
This is the same way Jesus sees everyone in your neighborhood, at your work, at your school. I mean, it, the, way, the, the, he, the way he sees the people that you often envy or those you feel sorry for. Every single person you come into contact, Jesus doesn't see them as this or that people. He sees them as connected or disconnected. This is why he turned the tables over, because he was tired of seeing that people were struggling because of all this craziness and all these barriers that had been set up by the religious leaders of the time to connecting with God. He was drawn to people far from God because he was, they were far from God. He, he was drawn to people who were lost because they were lost. Look, we are his body. So what is true of him should be true of us. We should be drawn to those who are disconnected. We should be drawn to those and, and be willing to help out and love on the people who aren't the ones who are connected. Here's the problem, though. In this world today, in our, our situation today, the gravitational pull of most churches is towards the connected and not the disconnected. Toward those already in the club. The ones who know where to park, who know what to sing, who know where to take their kids, who know have their favorite seat so they can get out of the sanctuary before uh, everybody else and get out of the parking lot. Church budgets and programming are geared to these people, which ends up putting up barriers to those who are disconnected. There is a narrative that is out there now that is real in regards to Christians and churches. That narrative, and, and listen, we're largely responsible for it, is that churches have barriers. And those barriers come in different forms. There are three different barriers that I know of and that I've kind of been aware of. That there are barriers of exclusion, expectations, and extracurricular. Barriers of exclusion are like who we like and don't like. So I don't like them, so I'm not going to sit next to them, or I'm not going to love on them, or I'm not going to do the, or invite them to my small group or whatever. And, but the thing is, is Jesus always pursued those who others rejected. So if we're going to be Christ-like, we should be going after and, and, and being uh, connected to those people. People, barriers of, expecta of expectations are kind of like the political narrative, that which is the strongest thing today in our hyper-partisan era. And that is, is you have to vote like us to belong with us. If you're not a Republican, then you, you're, you're not church-worthy. Or if you're not a Democrat, you're not our church-worthy. Or if you're not uh, liberal or conservative or whatever it is, you're not church-worthy. If you don't agree with me, you're not church-worthy. And then there's barriers of extracurricular, and those are basically activities and actions and saying, you know, you have to be this or do that or come here or go there in order to be part of our group. But folks, if we eventually, if we are not careful with these barriers that we've put up, our emotions will be impacted by them. And we'll start lashing out at the people who don't agree with us, who, who the, you won't like people who don't see the world the way you do. When you do that, though, God says that you have joined the ranks of the Pharisees. And you have joined the rank of people who think because they are connected, maybe, someday, everyone else will catch up with me. This is a bad attitude, folks. 
And what that means is, is we run the risk of misprioritizing our adjectives when it comes to how we see people. Folks, this is not what Jesus intended. In fact, it kind of, it, much to my chagrin, it goes back to fishing, you know, and, and to one of those stories that is in every gospel in one way or another. You know, um, you can actually find this one in uh, Matthew 4, Luke 5, Mark 1, and John 21. Um, and it is when the fishermen, Peter and others, were out on the lake. And they hadn't caught anything all day long. And in some of these, in some of the Gospels, this appears at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And some of this story appears at the end of his ministry. But in every single situation, the story is the same. In Luke 5, 4, Jesus says to them, put out, put out in deep water and let down your nets for down the nets for a catch. In John 21, 6, he says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Regardless of when this story appears, each time Jesus is telling them to cast the net in a different place than they were doing it before. And in all iterations, Jesus calls those men to be fishers of men. In that same way. What he's saying to us is that we need to go deeper. We need to fish in a different place. Because God didn't call us and God didn't send Jesus to go into the temples and just hang out with the connected. He sent us to fish in waters outside of that. You know, one of my favorite quotes that I've read, and I actually don't know who said it. I, can't, I couldn't find it before this, but it was, how we walk with the broken speaks louder than how we sit with the great. Folks, we need to stop fishing in waters that, that aren't providing anything to anyone. We need to start fishing in waters where we can find the disconnected and help them to become reconnected. But that's not by telling them they're going to hell or anything like that. That's just by loving on people and caring about people. We need to break down those barriers to people believing. Now, here's why this is so important. And the danger to all of what's going on here and what we're doing today because look, barriers to belonging will quickly become barriers to believing. And we don't want to set up those barriers. At Prevail, I want you to know that you can belong here before you ever believe anything we do. We want to be a place where people have permission to explore faith before they actually believe. Many of you are like, hey, yeah, let's do this. This is a great idea. I'm so, so excited to do this. Let's do it. But here, I'm going to challenge you here because I am not quite certain that a lot of you, that every single person is going to be on board when you hear what this means. So to give you an idea of what this means, we have to aspire to do things and do things like this church in the Philippines that I'm getting ready to show you. And here's an article that says it. 
And the title reads, Christians surprise pride parade marchers with signs apologizing for anti-LGBTQ views. Now, some of you, I may have just lost because I am saying, hey, let's go out and reach out to a group of people that Christians have largely maligned and, and pushed aside. But that's not what Jesus would have done. Well, I actually want to, I want to read to you really quick some quotes from the pastor. And he said that they were apologizing for the way that Christians have hurt the LGBT community, especially by using the Bible and condemning and judging them. He went on to say, I used to believe that God condemns homosexuals, but when I studied the scriptures, especially the ones that we call clobber scriptures, that are being cherry-picked from the Bible to condemn LGBT people, I realized that there is a lot to discover, including the truth, and this is the most important part right here, including the truth that God is not against anyone. God does not discriminate against anyone. And he went on to say, we pray that more Christians will act, speak, and love the LGBT people like Jesus would. But that's not the most staggering part of this article. The most staggering part, and I encourage you to go read this article, but, but, it, but if you have a chance, is the reaction of the people in the crowd. And specifically, one person wrote that my heart really felt light upon seeing them. I stopped when I saw them and read all of their messages and immediately felt goosebumps all over my body, and then my tears started to build up. Folks, Jesus connected with people there because the people in that church, the people who are part of that Filipino church, showed love to them and broke down a barrier that people in that community, people in that country, and people all over the world have set up against people who are part of that community. Let's be that church prevail. Let's actually act like the body of Christ. Let's show love and kindness to the disconnected. Why? Because Jesus and God and their love is for everyone, not just the select few. There are no real barriers. That Their only barriers that are there are ones that we as human beings have set up. Look, I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey today. And I don't know whether you love or hate God or if you love or hate church. But what I do know is this, if your picture of God is anything other than a God that loves you and loves your neighbor, you have the wrong picture of God. God wants to commune with you. God wants to be with you. If your picture of God is filled with barriers that others have placed in your life, right now, I want to overturn those barriers. I want to throw those tables and chairs out from in front of you and let you know that God is ready for you, that God wants you to be in this family. God wants you to be in connection with him. Thank you for joining us here at Prevail Church for this podcast.